Well, good morning, Miles City. We are so glad that you are with us today. Here we are in week four of the God of Miracles, where we're looking at some awesome miracles, but more importantly, we're looking at the God who performed them. And if this is the first time that you've ever joined us online, thank you so much for making us a part of your day today. And we hope that scripture speaks to you and you're encouraged and challenged. You know, these miracles that we've been looking at have been a lot of fun. I enjoy reading about miracles both in the Old and the New Testament parts of Scripture. There's so many things that happen that are so exciting and so interesting. And the story today is a very unusual miracle that happened. In fact, only twice in Scripture did something non-human and non-angel speak. And we're not going to be talking about the serpent in the Garden of Eden today. No, we're going to be talking about Balaam's donkey speaking to me. I mean, how crazy is that? And as we get into the story, I think the most crazy part is that the fact that Balaam talked back to his donkey just normal, like it was just a normal conversation they were having. Now, if you've grown up like me in the world that we're in, one of the things that I always think about when I think of a talking donkey is this. Get her out of my sight. No, no, I swear. No, take it off. Hey, I can fly! He can fly! He can fly! He can talk! <laughs> That's right, fool! Now I'm a flying talking donkey! You might have seen a house fly, maybe even a super fly, but I bet you ain't never seen a donkey fly! <laughs> uh oh. Now that is a funny video and I enjoy that movie so much, but I doubt seriously that Balaam's donkey sounded like Eddie Murphy. If it did, that would be incredible. But when we look at this, why would God use a talking donkey? Why, why that? I mean, there's so many ways to get someone's attention and why perform the miracle of making the donkey talk? Well, um, week one of this God of Miracles series, we looked at a miracle where Elijah calls down fire from heaven and God consumes an altar. But the prayer that Elijah prays before that miracle is that he asked God to do this miracle so that people would know that he was God and that it would turn their hearts back to him. And when we think about this miracle in the light of that, we see the sovereignty of God. Now, the word sovereignty is a big word that we don't use a ton, but basically in the dictionary it gives us this meaning of having supreme power or authority. And so when we think about the sovereignty of God, he has authority over everything and he really should have the authority in our life. And that word supreme is such a rich word. It's one that's open to interpretation so many times. In fact, uh, a lot of times when I think of the word supreme, I think of supreme pizza. And I'll be honest, if I'm in charge, if I'm the guy making the menu, a supreme pizza would be more of one that has uh, a Hawaiian pizza, because think about it, a Hawaiian pizza has your dairy, it has your meat, and it also has your fruit. Everything that you need in life is wrapped up into this beautiful box, and man, it's almost like a complete diet just on that piece of pizza. That, to me, would be the supreme pizza. I don't need all that other stuff, especially mushrooms that are grown in cow poop. I mean, I just, I'm not into it. But supreme is open to interpretation by so many people. There's companies out there with the name Supreme. But in all seriousness, if you're going to believe and worship a God, wouldn't you want to believe and worship the supreme God? Wouldn't you want him to be the one, the one true sovereign God? Why, why would you settle for second best? Why would you um, want to follow someone that wasn't sovereign, that wasn't supreme in power and authority? And 
In a world that doesn't believe in absolute truth, God with certainty says absolutely that he is the sovereign, the supremely powerful, and holding supreme authority, God. So why does that affect us? Well, it should relieve us, and here's why. We can take a breath because we're not sovereign. We're not the sovereign God. Everything doesn't rely upon us. That should relieve us. That should give us some breathing room. We don't have to have it all figured out. But so many times we struggle with that in our life. There's so many times that we feel like we've got to have all the answers, that we've got to have it figured out. And when we do struggle with feeling like we've got to have all the answers, what should we be reminded of? How should we respond to a God that is sovereign over all? What does God want with me? And what can I learn from a donkey? That's where the story of Balaam's donkey comes into play. So as we look at this story today, let's be reminded that we serve a sovereign God. But before we jump into it, let's just take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, today we come to you and we're grateful uh, for your word. We're grateful for scripture. God, I ask over the next few minutes that you would clear my mind and heart and that you would speak through me. Lord, have me say the words that you want said. I ask that we would be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit. We'd be open to what scripture has to say to us. And as we hear this message from you today, God, I just ask that you would change our hearts, that you would make us into who you want us to be. Thank you for this opportunity, and we'll give you the praise for what happens in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you want to open it up to Numbers chapter number 22. Numbers is the fourth book in from the beginning. And man, we are in an interesting part in Israel's history. Just a little background on this story. Israel has been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. And that they're coming to the end of these 40 years. This may be year 38, 39, somewhere in there. And they're just outside the land that God has promised them that they're going to inhabit. They weren't able to go in right away when they came out of Egypt because of some sinfulness. And so now they're ready to go in. And, and they uh, come out just the outskirts. And there's this nation there, the land of Moab. And the people of Moab see the Israelites. Now you say, well, how, why is that so intimidating? Because the Israelites, just a few chapters after chapter 22 in Numbers, God tells Moses to number all the able-bodied guys 20 years and older. And that was basically the guys that could go to war. And they had over 600,000 guys that were 20 years or older. And so when you start doing the math and you start thinking about the women and children, there's well over a million people camped just outside the land of Moab. In fact, Scripture says they were in the plains of Moab. They're right on the edge. And so the Moabites are scared. They're frightened because they've heard what Israel can do. And so they go to their king. Their king's name is Balak. And they say, listen, you, not, you need to do something because we're worried. We need to figure something out because this is not good for us. And so Balak knows a guy. And this guy is a fortune teller. He's a true sayer. He's a guy that can prophesy. And so he goes, let me go ask this guy. This guy's name's Balaam. And so he gets some messengers together. He gets some riches together. And he sends them on their way to go talk to Balaam. And they get to Balaam's house. And here's the king's message to Balaam. Look at Numbers 22 and verse number 6. It says this. Come now, therefore, I pray thee. Curse me this people. For they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we may smite them and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot 
that he whom thou blessest is blessed and he whom thou cursedest is cursed. Now, before we go any farther, you're going to say, man, that sounds a little bit different. That's right, because we're speaking out of the King James Version today. Now, usually we use the ESV, but the King James Version of this story is so much more fun to read. And we got clearance to do it from the KJV. So today we are in the King James Version. So you're going to see some of these words are a little, a little different. But basically, Balak sends the messengers to Balaam and he says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to curse Israel for me. I need a curse to come down on them. And so Balaam has these guys come to him and says, why don't you stay the night and I'll see if the Lord uh, comes to me and if I hear word from the Lord and then I'll let you know in the morning. And so sure enough, look what happens in verse number nine. And God came unto Balaam and said, what men are these with thee? It's interesting to see that God came to Balaam. Balaam didn't go seek God. No, God came to him. Why? Because God was watching over the nation of Israel. This was his chosen people. They were important to him. He says, hey, what do these guys want? And he says, hey, they want me to curse Israel because they're worried about what Israel's going to do to them. And, and God responds to Balaam in verse number 12. He says this, God said unto Balaam, thou shalt not go with them, for thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. See, God had blessed the nation of Israel. God had blessed his people, he had watched over him. Even though they had disobeyed him, he still watched over him. He was guiding him through the wilderness and now he's setting him up to enter into this land that he promised him. So Balaam gets up the next morning, he says, listen guys, it doesn't matter what you brought me, I can't go, the Lord says I can't go. It's a no-go. And so these messengers go back to uh, Balak and they, they give him the bad news and Balak's upset and he says, listen, I don't like this message and so we are gonna up the ante. And so he sends more important messengers. He sends some princes out there and he sends some more money and they come to Balaam again. They say, listen, we need you to curse these people. And Balaam says, can't do it. Doesn't matter what you bring me, I can't do it. But he says, maybe if you'll just stay the night, we'll see if God changes his mind. We'll see if there's a different answer. And look what happens in verse number 20. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Now God's already told Balaam once, no, you can't go. Balaam didn't like that answer because they were bringing him all kinds of stuff and he wanted to have some importance. He wanted to be recognized by the king to know, hey, I speak to the Lord. And so he entertains them again. And God, not very happy about it, lets him go. See, look what verse 22 says. God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. See, God let him go but he wasn't very happy about it. And even though God let him go, this wasn't God's will. In fact, it angered him. This wasn't God's perfect plan for Balaam. And, and what we see here is this idea of God had a perfect plan. God had a perfect will, 
But yet he still permitted Balaam to go outside of it. He still allowed him to do this. And it, it kind of reminds us of, you know, God has a perfect plan for our life. God has a perfect will for our life. But there are other times that he allows us, he permits us to do things that maybe weren't his plan. Romans 12, 2, Paul understood this when he said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, some teach that there's three levels of God's will, the good, the acceptable, and the perfect. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but we know that God's will is for everyone to be saved. But God's will goes beyond that. We can, we can follow after Christ. We can be a, a Christ follower, but God has an even more perfect plan for our life. It's like this, as, as parents, if, if you have kids, you understand that there is a perfect plan that you have for your kids. There are things that you wanna see your kids do that will make their life better. And, and sometimes they choose things not quite in that plan, but you still allow them to choose those things to learn. Maybe it's a Christmas gift where you know in three days this gift is gonna be not liked, maybe even broken, never played with again, but you go ahead and get it because they're so passionate about wanting this gift. Or maybe if they're older and they're picking classes and they pick a class that you know in two weeks they're gonna be tired of and they're gonna hate it, but you're like, hey, they're gonna learn from this, so I'm gonna allow them to do it. It might not be the perfect plan, but it's a permissible plan. And that's what God here is doing with Balaam. And in our life, Sometimes I think we get satisfied with the permissible when really we should be striving for God's perfect plan for us. So many times we settle for the permissible. Well, it's okay, God didn't tell me I can't do this when really we should be striving for the perfect plan for our life. So the question we have to ask ourselves, am I settling for the permissive or am I looking, striving for that perfect plan that God has for me? So the story goes on, and this is where it gets extremely interesting, okay? And I want you to hang with me because this is a lot of fun to hear what happens. So look what happens in, in Numbers chapter number 22. It says this, And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. It continues. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself under the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled. And he smote the ass with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten thee these three times? Now, listen, this is a donkey talking to a human being. Now, there's a lot that could have happened between verse 28 and verse 29. We're not sure, but look how Balaam responds in verse number 29. And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill thee. And the ass said to Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever want to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Now, 
I don't know what happens, but he's basically carrying on a conversation with a donkey. And he's telling the donkey, listen, if I had a sword, I'd kill you right now. Not, hey, you're talking to me. What could I, what could I possibly, just like the lady in Shrek, hey, I could make some money off a talking donkey. No, he's carrying on this conversation and has to admit that the donkey's right. How crazy is this? But that's how frustrated he is at this point. And I don't know if you noticed, but the angel of the Lord gave him three chances to stop. First, it was on a wide open road. Then the second time it was on a more narrow road. And then the third time it was on a path where there was nowhere for the donkey to go except lay down. And each time the donkey responded by veering off, by cracking his foot, and then just by sitting basically down and not going anywhere. And the Lord is trying to get Balaam's attention in the little things that the donkey's doing. But instead of listening to those little things, and it gets a little more severe each time, finally, God has to open the mouth of the donkey so that Balaam will listen. And when we see that, we're challenged by the idea, can God get our attention in the little things? Or do we need the dramatic to hear them? So many times, God loves to use little things in our life. Maybe it's a verse that you read, or maybe it's an encouraging conversation you have with somebody, or maybe a talk that you heard at church. And so many times, if we would just heed to what we hear in those messages, to what we heed the advice from a friend, or what we read in Scripture, or maybe the Holy Spirit just nudging us a little bit. But so many times, if you're like me, I need the dramatic. I need something miraculous to happen almost for God to get my attention because I ignore him in the little things. And if we would learn to be sensitive to God's leading in the little things, the dramatic things wouldn't happen. And maybe today you're sitting here and you go, man, there's so much drama in my life and maybe God's trying to get your attention because we didn't listen in the little areas. So be encouraged to look for God in the little things. So the story continues, basically, God opens the eyes of Balaam to finally he can see the angel of the Lord. There's the angel of the Lord standing there with a sword. He finally sees what the donkey sees. And look how he responds. Numbers 22, 31 says this. He bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Now, just a little side note here. This probably was a pre-incarnate of Christ. Angels, anytime people went to worship and bow down to angels, they would tell them to get up, that they weren't to be worshiped. The angel did no such thing here. It allowed Balaam to fall on his face here. And so the angel corrects Balaam and says, listen, God didn't want you to go, and yet you're still going. You're going against God's perfect will for you. And so Balaam responds in verse number 34, and he says this. Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. I'll go back. Now we see three responses from Balaam to the angel of the Lord here when he's corrected. First, he humbled himself. He bowed down. He put his face to the ground. Then he admitted that he had done wrong. He said, I have sinned. And then he said, I'll go back if that's what you want me to do. I'll change directions. I'll not continue to do this. And there's some things about Balaam that we don't like. In fact, if you keep reading the story, he does some horrible things to sidetrack the nation of Israel. But 
right here, Balaam is accepting correction. He accepts it in the right way. When he's corrected, he receives it. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we receive or reject God's correction in our life? This angel comes, maybe even Christ himself comes to Balaam and Balaam says, listen, I'm wrong. I've sinned. Do we respond that way when we're corrected? Do we admit when we've done wrong, are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to change directions? Maybe in the little things. In what areas in our life right now are we rejecting correction? Or can we celebrate and say, you know what? There's been some correction in my life, maybe from a loved one or maybe from a trusted friend or maybe from scripture that I've accepted, that I've received, and I'm so glad because I've changed directions and my life is better for it. Do we receive or reject God's correction in our life? So Balaam continues on. The angel says, nope, you're gonna go, but you can only say what I tell you to say. So Balaam goes on. He goes and meets the king of Moab and the king says, listen, I'm gonna take you up so you can see the Israelites. I want you to curse them. And so they go up, they build these altars, seven altars. And Balaam opens his mouth and all he can do is bless Israel. So they do this like three times. They do it four times. Build these altars, seven altars, all, uh, uh, um, sacrifice two different animals on them. So this is a big uh, to-do at different locations. He's like, well, maybe I'll let you see some a little part of Israel. And, all the, and every time Balaam either blesses Israel and he even prophesies of the coming Christ. He can't help but say exactly what God wants him to say. He can't curse them. He can only bless them. In fact, Balak gets so frustrated with him, he just sends him on his way. He goes, you quit talking. I don't want to hear what you have to say because every time you open your mouth, I want you to curse them and you're blessing them. And what we see here is that God's sovereignty is reigning supreme. Nothing could deter that. Not the sin of Israel, not the sin of Balaam. Nothing, nothing could stop God protecting and watching over his chosen people. The principle we see here is that we get to celebrate the fact that God's sovereignty is greater than man's sinfulness. God's sovereignty is always greater than man's sinfulness. And Balaam's prophesying, he made this statement in verse number 19 of chapter 23. He said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God follows through with what he said. God can be depended upon that if he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Solomon in Proverbs 19 and verse 21, he wrote this. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. In our life. So many times we make bad choices, bad decisions. We sin. We disobey God. But we need to celebrate the fact that in spite of our sinfulness, God's sovereignty still reigns supreme. In my life, I know that God has a call on my life. And I've made decisions in my life that at times have derailed that call on my life. But I'm so thankful that God's sovereignty reigns over my sinfulness. And God looks at us with love and he understands that we're sinful and he loves us in spite of us. He doesn't want us to continue in our sin, but he wants us to understand in spite of our sinfulness, he loves us. 
And today, maybe you're struggling with some bad decisions, some poor choices, some rebellion maybe. Maybe you're rebelling against the sovereignty of God. Maybe you just don't like it, but life isn't turning out how you thought it would be. Maybe today you need to be reminded that God still reigns over our sinfulness and his will will come to pass. It always has and it always will. God is in ultimate control because he is sovereign. And as you hear this today, maybe you've been fighting, pushing against this sovereign God. Maybe you've served other gods. I, I, I realize that most of us, we don't have a, a shelf of idols that we worship, but sometimes we make money our idol or sometimes we make relationships or job or our happiness. Some take it down a bad path and uh, make sex or, or addictions, whatever. So, so many of us, we, we make other things gods in our life. Today I want to encourage you, why don't you Serve the sovereign God, the one that is supreme in power and authority, because it makes our life so much better, not easier, but better. And today, maybe you sit here and you say, hey, that's the God I want for my life. Maybe that's who you want to listen to. And today you can start a relationship with that God because that God, even though he's sovereign, even though he's the supreme power and authority, he loves you and wants to have a personal relationship with you. He's not untouchable. He, he cares about us. He knows us. He's, the scripture says that he formed us in our mother's womb. He knew us even then because he loves us so much. And he's created us to be in a relationship with him. And today that might be the decision you need to make. Or maybe you sit here today and you're a follower of Christ. And you've been kicking against this sovereign God. Maybe we need to be reminded of these principles. Maybe we need to strive for the perfect plan that God has for our life. Maybe we need to look for him in the little things so that something dramatic doesn't have to happen to get our attention. Maybe... We need to receive his correction. Maybe there's some areas in our life that he's pointing out that we need to humble ourselves. We need to admit our sin and we need to go the other direction. Maybe today we just need to find joy in his sovereignty. You know, so many times we want to kick back against God because we think we know better than God. And God says, no, I'm the ultimate, I'm the supreme authority, I'm the supreme power. Just follow me, let me take your burden upon me. So many times we wanna talk back. And I was talking to Travis this week and he said, man, that makes me think of when we wanna sass, maybe we should think of the ass. And really maybe that's where we're at today. Maybe we need to quit kicking against the supreme God, the sovereign God, and we need to follow after him. As we close today, if you're here and listening and you say, I want to follow after that sovereign God. I want to have a relationship with him. And it's simple. All you need to do is, is talk to him. It's a condition of the heart that you verbalize with your mouth. And, and you say something like this. You say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I want to thank you for dying and rising again for my sins. And I want to lower my pride and I want to give myself to you. Today, I make you the Lord of my life. And if that's your prayer today, 
That's the greatest decision you'll ever make because that sovereign God, that supreme power and authority, God, he wants to be in a personal relationship with you. The scripture tells us that not only do we have a home in heaven, but we also have a relationship with him. And that decision that you've made enters into that relationship. And we would love to celebrate that decision with you. If you would do us a favor and just take a second to text the word Mile City to the number that you see on the screen and follow the prompts in that text. And one of our staff members, maybe even me, will follow up with you this week. And man, we'll encourage you in any way that we can. We'll answer any questions that you have. We just want to pray with you. For the rest of us this week, are we resting in the sovereignty of God? Are we willing to listen to him? I want to encourage you and challenge you this week to submit and look for his perfect will for your life and to hear what he has to say to us.